Check, 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 check. Microphone is on. Yes, y'all. Welcome back to another episode. Before we get started, I want to shout out everybody who checked out last week's episode with the one and only Bay Area's finest, the marijuana god, Burner. Okay? Let me tell you something, man. This dude, Burner, one thing I really enjoy is he, uh, what I've seen is when he was on his press run, um, a lot of people, you know, they did some, you know, sit downs with him, but they didn't really go over the journey of Burner. And I've seen that he had so many fans that were dedicated to what he was doing, whether that be as being an artist or being an entrepreneur or being a cannabis guru that he is with his brand Cookies and everything he's done. And I was like, yo, um, I want to be able to give uh, his fans and him a, a good body of, of, of who the fuck Burner is. And we did that. And Internet, let me tell you something. Uh, if you didn't check out that Burner episode, put it on your to-do list. And and I'm thankful that we can sit down with people that, one, I'm a fan of or people who are fans of can hear, uh, you know, a, a story, a journey, and learn more about. One thing that I'm proud of, and I learned this from my brother Combat Jack, rest in peace forever, you know, is giving a, a history, a journey of someone's career where people who know them or are fans of them listen and be like, damn, I didn't even know about that about them. You know, I've done episodes on here that people who worked with them would call me and be like, yo, I learned more about dude in one hour than I learned seven years working right next to him. And I think that's something special. You know, we we, we should want to be uplifted. We should want to be inspired. And, and and I feel like internets, if I could do that every week, once a week, and on my socials, you know, so listen, you know, speaking of socials, okay, um, open up your Twitter app, open up your Instagram app, at Premium P, at Premium P Show. And, and you know what I say. Check in, okay? Let me know where you're listening from. Last week we had uh, Melbourne, Australia. We had Russia. We had London. We had Paris. Uh, also uh, uh, Zimbabwe on the check-in. Africa on the check-in. And then, you know, across the states, I'm not going to even listen. Boston, Philadelphia, uh, uh, Cincinnati, um, Houston. Man, I, Bay Area. Of course the Bay Area was on the check-in. You know, at Premium P, at Premium P Show, and I'll continue to tell you, and I see people emailing me or, or DMing me. If you want to email me, okay, thepremiumpeachshow at gmail.com. Now, let me tell you something. I say this all the time, and I mean it, and I wouldn't say it if I didn't mean it. If you're going through something, if you're a father, a separated father like I was at one point in time, um, and, and, and not knowing what to do or, you know, having a problem seeing your kids or just stuck on, need some advice or just going through some depression or you have a podcast that, you know, is hitting the wall and you don't know what to do or, or, or you just need, you know, a, a food recommendation, you know, internet, I, I'm eating all over the world. Okay. You say, yo, premium Pete, where could I eat? Where could I go to a spot in Chicago? Okay. You know, I'll let you know. Email me, thepremiumpeatshow at gmail.com. But make sure you explain yourself. Just don't be like, yo, where to eat? I don't know. You're not telling me where you want to go. You know, give me some information. You know, and before we before we get into this week's episode, um, I want to uh, put something up and that, I, that I put on Twitter. I want to put you on to something, okay? And what I wrote the other day was, you know, on my uh, Instagram, at premiumpeat, I wrote, don't educate your kids to be rich. Educate them to be happy. So when they grow up, They'll know the value of things, not the price. Internet, I'm going to say that one more time. Don't educate your kids to be rich. Educate them to be happy. So when they grow up, they'll know the value of things, not the price. 
And I mean that so importantly because, you know, even I still got to teach my daughter, you know, uh, uh, a, a, a Mercedes Benz. You think, okay, th- that looks nice, okay? But you have to understand how to just learn how to be happy. I know plenty of people who are rich who are not happy, okay? I know plenty of people who have money and are not happy. So you take time to learn and love yourself and you'll be happy, you know? And if that's one thing I think you chase for the rest of your life, if you can find a balance in being peaceful and being happy, you'll be okay. Internet, listen, I always say this. If I did anything for you, if you're listening right now, I appreciate you. But I want, I, I want you to do something else for me. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Tell a friend to tell a friend about the Premium Pete Show, okay? If you know somebody that wants to be a producer, a DJ, an artist, an entrepreneur, an athlete, every week I try to mix it up and sit down with different people. So don't tell me that you know, my man's not into hip-hop, okay? Well, then give him an entrepreneur episode. My man doesn't like uh, producers. Okay, well, give him an athlete episode. Check the catalog. Search iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, subscribe, rate, tell a friend, and more, m- most importantly, leave a comment, okay? Don't be, don't be one of those people that shot it just by, yo, Pete, I fuck with you. Okay, because if you're listening, I fuck with you. Internet, this week's episode, I sit down with, uh, to me, a very big player in the game. Okay, when we talk about somebody who, who uh, you know, you think about somebody like Gary Vaynerchuk that, that invested in him early on, that, that helped fuel Gary Vaynerchuk, that helped fuel so many, so many, so many. And I'm, man, I can't even begin to tell you how many people this guy fueled. Okay. Uh, you know, involved, you know, involved with the Jets and now involved with the Dolphins, okay? A CEO, a founder, a business builder, okay? And he's on Shark Tank. That's right. Season 10, okay? He's on boards too, the Ann Pizza board. Yeah, you know, Michael Astoria. You know, he's also on that, that, that one and only Momo Fuku. Yeah, yeah, he helped them too. He's on that board. And, you know, are you familiar with Milk Bar? yes. There we go. He's on that one, too. And and a bunch of others, okay? Internet, let me tell you something. Sometimes there's people in front of the scenes and back of the scenes. I feel like he's becoming both, but he was, he was always behind the scenes making it shake and bake, okay? One thing I love about the, the Premium Picho, it don't only have to be a big-name star for you to tune in, okay? I put you, I put you on to a lot of different people because they're, they need to be put on. They need to be heard. Their story needs to be told for many reasons, okay? And make sure you check them out on Shark Tank, okay? The one and only, the iconic Matt Higgins on this week's episode of the Premium Pete Show. Let's get to it. Cheers. Yo, what's up, y'all? This is Fat Man Scoop, the undisputed voice of the club, the two-time Grammy Award winner. Let me make this official for you. Fat Man Scoop, Cork McClan, Internets. It's time to go with my dude, Premium Pete. Let's get focused. Let's go, Internets. Let's turn up one time, Premium Pete. Come on, everybody get set. Let's go. It's the next episode. It's the Premium Pete Show. News, interviews, all of the info. Listen up. It's the Premium Pete Show. If you want the scoop in the low, down low, listen to the show cause milk said so fuck what you heard better act like you know it's the premium pete show internet welcome back to another episode of the premium pete show sitting here with uh i'm, I'm excited to sit here with a, a mover and shaker as i want to call somebody who is uh, behind the scenes but also in front of the scenes and more importantly what i really love is a lot of people who have came 
and done episodes here, like Michael Astoria, um, and, and and then we talk about even like somebody like Eugene Rem, and and e- even more. It's funny because my friend Mark uh, from Kojin, Mark Zablau, was telling me we got to have Matt Higgins. Oh, I love that on on the Premium Pete Show. And it's funny because I usually run down a list of what um, you know people do, and obviously I'll just say entrepreneur, uh, trailblazer, father. But more important is so many other things that you do. But internet's welcome, Matt Higgins to the Premium Pete Show. Matt, welcome, man. Ah, thank you for having me. Listen, you know, right off the bat, it, 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 it's, your story is, is is inspiring. More importantly, because you're a young kid from Queens, and at first, first time I seen you, I was like, you just look like money, and 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 I was like, did he grow up with money? And and it's okay if somebody did, but when I heard your story about how you grew up in Queens, and you had what five uh, brothers? Or, I had three brothers. Three brothers. Yeah. Any sisters? No sisters. So it's four of you. Yes, yeah, four miserable children. Yep. <laughs> and and that, that that had to be a lot of fighting in that house. But all the yeah, brothers. yeah. No, they are were, you the oldest? I'm the youngest. Okay, yeah, really? I was the yeah youngest of four, growing up in uh, uh, they say Bayside, but it's really uh, Springfield Gardens, Queens, mm. and a garden apartment, a uh, little shoebox, probably eight hundred square feet, four boys and uh, and my mother. Now your mom was uh, uh, in a wheelchair. I, I know you mentioned was she fighting a. a- yeah, my mother was a special lady. Uh, she, uh, we were always poor, but she was always defiant. Um, she didn't have an education growing up. She got her GED as an adult, so some of my earliest memories are going with her to community college for her to take classes to get her GED. But uh, once she started, she never stopped. So throughout her life, she got a, a, a bachelor's degree in urban studies and a master's degree in library studies. She just kept getting more and more education. Didn't do much with it, but she kept getting more and more degrees. And uh, those are my first memories of education as a road out of you know poverty. Mm. Now, what about Pops? He, he wasn't around? Or? Yeah, my, my da- he was around. He uh, They got divorced when I was nine years old. He was a bill collector for uh, like a slaughterhouse. Mm. Um, nice guy. Uh, weren't especially close, uh, but they got divorced when I was nine, and he lived in Corona, Queens. And we were growing up in, in Bayside. Mm. Mm. So he he didn't come by and <clears throat> excuse me he didn't come by and uh, well my my, my uh, I remember he would come by every other Wednesday you know divorce kids remember we come by to bring the check so that was pizza night and the check mm-hmm. and I'd watch the two of them fight at the table so it wasn't exactly like a happy reunion but but I remember pretty regularly he would come every other week and interesting when you're product of divorce even if your parents don't get along I remember how soothing it would still be on that Wednesday night because the two of them were together, even though I didn't have much of a relationship. It always stuck with me when I deal with my own kids how, how sure. important it is for them to see tranquility at sure. the top. You know, it's funny. I had a friend of mine. He uh, is an artist and editor. His name is Rob Markman. And he was telling me that how he had uh, his mother and father. He don't ever remember them uh, like kissing or hugging um, and how, you know, I guess he takes place of that in his in his marriage now because – when kids see that, you know what I mean. It means something to them. Yeah, kids just want to see parents get along, right? So the number one, they don't—they're pretty selfish too, right? So they just need to know that they're stable, they're well fed, and that you guys get along. Other than that, they don't really care about your personal needs. You know, it's crazy too, even being a parent. You know, it's funny because it's like uh, being a parent. It's—I speak about this all the time, but it's a tough job. And when I say it's a tough job, because you're also trying to figure your life out. Yeah. And it's like—it's not like you're like this certified. Like we didn't go to classes, and we're just like you know. We have a, a master's degree in parenting. I found that to be one of the biggest disappointments of life, that I would think just with the passage of time, you suddenly are equipped with what it takes to be a good dad and all the things that you are grappling with in your 
teens and your 20s would just magically disappear. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're completely a fully formed human. And that's what your kid expects. They expect that you actually are a fully formed person and you're not. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's interesting, right? There is no manual, no certification. And yet out of all the things I do in a day, it's the thing I desperately want to get right. Like I always think about my epitaph and I know exactly what I want it to say. You know, herein lies a great dad who did the best he could. Sure. Right? Everything else is irrelevant and secondary. And society is not really set up to facilitate it, right? It's not like there's this work-life balance that is, you know, placing the role of the father, you know, up high to ensure that you can get out of work to go to parent-teacher night. So it's interesting. We all know that you need strong fathers in kids' lives, but I think there's still a struggle with work-life balance to figure out how to do it. Sure. No, it's, it's, That's my little dissertation no, on no, it's, the it's, divorced dad because yeah. I care par- passionately about it. It's and, and, and I feel like when you get divorced, you even wind up caring more. Oh, yeah. Like, like I always think, I mean, one of the upsides, I suppose, of divorce, is, if there are upsides, is that you um, put so much more into it. I mean, I have my kids multiple nights a week and I make the most ridiculous travel arrangements to get back. I mean, I'll fly to Europe and back and same day just to make sure I stick to that schedule as best as I could. Not being a hero, I just know how important it is to maintain regular content, sure. contact. And it's not the kind of thing that you could sequence. Well, I'll kill myself now to, to be successful and then I'll return later on to being a good dad. You know that song Cats in the Cradle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spoon, yeah. That's, that's legit. Well, <laughs> like, sure. So you have to do it simultaneously whether you like it or not. And then some things have to suffer. I always like to say, I mean, I, I have a handful of friends because I can't maintain friendships because something has to give, right? So instead I maintain relationships with the kids. And, and that usually is what suffers, is those friendships. Yeah. I always say, you know, the, your, your presence is why I, I have a, a, a motto I live by presence over presence. Mm. And because you, that's the best gift you'll ever give. You know, sometimes we try to, to soothe our kids with gifts, but our presence is, is, is something that we'll, they'll remember forever. Yeah, I've read something, though, in a psychology journal. I love studies. I'm constantly looking for a study to either solve a problem or forgive me of something I did. And that there's, a, there's one that about souvenirs, that when you're away, souvenir psychologically tells a kid that you were thinking about them while you were gone. Mm. So it's, it's a little example for I you. like that. Yeah. You know, you're an interesting, you're an interesting fellow. And mm. what I mean by that is, uh, you know, before we um, went on air to talk, you know, I, I, you've been traveling. And, and going back and forth, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll continue on your journey as a, as a child. But uh, for now, it's like somebody who grew up in Queens, you know, uh, four brothers, mom, and mom was, you know, disabled and, 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 and passed away, rest in peace, and we'll go, we'll go over that too. But I, I'm like, it's crazy sometimes when you hear these stories of somebody who, you know, slept on the floor, a mattress on the floor, um, you know, and... Then on, on a plane with, with with Steve Ross. I mean, does this ever like I, I I I you seem like so natural, like meaning like you know authentic guy that's like yo I'm here and this is what I do and I do it good. But do you ever like say to yourself like fuck man this is this this is amazing? Yeah, I I I I I would I'd be lying if I said I do because very early on. I feel like I made a decision that I was not going to let the circumstances of my birth define the rest of my life. And so it fed a degree of defiance that I think I still carry with me. Not a chip, but very defiant about whatever circumstances I'm, I'm dealing with. And that was my early response to poverty. Like, wait a second, this, this is not a good hand. <laughs> like, and I'm not, there's a way out of here. 
And some of the earliest decisions I made were to make really unconventional decisions that would drown out everybody else's opinion to go my own route. And once I did that once and it was successful, it became my pattern. I know I'm talking in the abstract, but you know I'm speaking about dropping out of high school, right? Sure. It's kind of a crazy decision. Now, now I remember uh, reading something that uh, you uh, got left back on purpose three times. Yeah. It, what is that even about? So to paint a picture, um, growing up in Queens, I... My mother was a you know great woman, really trying to take care of the kids, doing the best she can. But um, her illnesses and people always say, "What'd she have?" And I said, "It's like the trials of Job." You know, she had a little bit of everything. Like was kind of thrown at her. But her knees were given out. She had a thyroid condition. She was very heavy. It's very hard for her to move around. Um, and here we were trying to stay above water, and the water was rising every day. And um, she is the one who gave me the idea. I watched her go as an adult get her GD. And then go to college with it. And when I was probably seventh seventh grade, I thought, well, why don't I just do that on purpose? Like if I can go ahead and, and, and drop out of high school, I can get a job as a college student a lot faster. Everything was about how do I get out of, pos- out of poverty as fast sure, as sure, possible. Sure. And so that was the epiphany. Got to ninth grade and I said, well, this is the play that I'm going to run. And I would just sit in the back of the homeroom with all the uh, all the uh, all the kids with the with the beepers back in the day, sure, you sure. know, doing whatever they would do it right. And I was just kept my head on the desk and just would you know nap for a couple of years until it was time. But, the, <laughs> but then it was you time. Were hibernating. Oh well, yeah, getting picked up by the truant police at McDonald's. Sure, you know, sure. it was kind of then I'd go home, watch the Gulf War in the afternoon for a bit, and come back. It was just I I, I pulled up my transcript a couple of years ago, so I had to give a speech, and it legitimately like a forty eight was my average, you know, so I would just deliberately wait, right? Because that was the play I was running. Plus, I was working at a deli overnight. I'd carry my butterfly knife to this place in Woodhaven, Queens, because, you know, all the degenerates would come in the middle of the night ordering their corncob pipes and doing whatever, you sure, know, like sure. crazy period of time. Crack time. Probably. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, that, to me, it was, this is not a sustainable life anyway, so I'm going to make a choice. I come up with this path, which is I'm going to drop out and I'm going to start high school. I'm going to start college early. It's one thing to come up with a plan and then actually have to execute. And, and I go t- get your GED. And go get my GED. And I remember when the, when the rubber meets the road, now I'm 16, been left, at, left back three years in a row, I guess. And I, now it's time. And you have to return all your textbooks. And I remember walking, and that's, pretty, that's like now you're with all your peers, and they're all moving on with their life, and they're starting to get serious, and you're returning your textbooks as a high school dropout. Sure. And I remember walking into my science teacher, Mr. Rosenthal, if you're still around, you left an impression. <laughs> I remember giving him my textbook, and he looks to me for the whole class. He's like, Higgins, such a waste, so talented. And he's like, um, I was like, oh, you know, whatever, made some stupid snarky comment. Sure. He's like, I'll see you at McDonald's. Right. And I remember turning around. I said, you know what? If you see me at McDonald's, it's because I own it. And I was like, Matt out. You know, then I sat down on the steps of Doza, smoked a cigarette. And I was like, I, I may have just thrown my life away. <laughs> like all the all the bravado was gone. It was like sure. it was almost like you could hear the blood rushing through your ears. Like, oh, my God, I can't believe I've done this. Well, and, and, and what was your next step from there? Well, like everything I do when I'm at these moments of transcendence, sure. take a step back. Yeah, they said, no, you are operating according to instinct, pure, raw instinct. Your mother is getting progressively worse. She's, this is eventually not going to end well. And you need to make as much money as humanly possible, as fast as possible. And this is a way to, this is a smart way to do it. And I went, I remember going to GED classes at Queensboro Community College, sitting in the room and thinking like, this is not for me. Like, I think I could pass this test. I'm not going to take six months worth of classes. Next week, I went to Springfield Gardens High School in, uh, in, uh, in Queens. Took my GD on standby. The following week, I took my SATs. 
And then within three months, I was enrolled in college. Mm. And so then I was like, okay, that worked. No one stopped me. Now I'm 16. Now I'm in college. I was like, well, let's press this. By the end of the year, I was president of the debate team. So then I go to my prom. I'm like, let me do a little victory lap. Let me go see my science teacher. <laughs> and so everyone's around. I was like, oh, how's high school going? I just finished my first year. I have a 3.6, and I'm president of the debate team. Nice to meet you. Mm-hmm. So I, I tell that story always because I had to make so many unconventional decisions that didn't seem to make sense from an outsider looking in. But you don't realize, because I never invited anybody over to my house, that my mother is dying in the next room. And it doesn't matter. There's no government agency that's going to run in. You know, there's government cheese in a refrigerator. I'm, I'm embarrassed. I'm not telling my friends. We're taking the Q27 bus to a, to a pantry every weekend to get food. Nobody knows because we tend to hide our deepest problems and our struggles. So that decision was the absolute smartest decision I could have made, but it looked crazy from the outside looking in. Mm. Once I started going down that path, it's very hard to stop. Once you sort of flex that muscle of unconventional decision making, right, and it works out, then it becomes almost like a drug. Like, oh, wait a second. I don't need to listen to anybody. I, I have the answers inside myself. I tell you, you know, your, your story is, is, is just incredible because it's like uh, – you know, you, you, now you're in college, right? Yeah. You got a GED. But, and then maybe I'm skipping a little, but, you know, uh, how does it even come a possibility where you become a press secretary for Rudy, jo- Rudy Giuliani? Like, how does that, how, for me, like, you know, I'm sure you told this story a bunch of times, but for me, it's like, I'm like, how does that, how does that even, like, add up? Yeah. I don't know how to tell the story. Like, I know what the underlying. Uh, drive was, which was mostly desperation, right? I, I just kept connecting the dots to go as fast as humanly possible to, to, to get out of poverty because all I wanted to do was take care of my mother, but selfishly, I wanted to be emancipated. No kid wants to take care of their parent. I don't care how nice sure, you are. Sure, and I, and I like to think that I was a sweet kid. I was as resentful as anybody else that I was taking care of her. So I wanted to make as much money as possible so she'd be okay, but so that I could be emancipated, right? And that fueled me. And I started just watching the patterns, right? Like, I think very early on, I was given a gift of pattern recognition and started applying it to my own life. So I figured out I was pretty good as a communicator. So let me do that. And I became a reporter at a very young age while I was still in college um, and became a little bit of a muckraker. I'd do investigative reporting and people would send me their problems for a local newspaper and I would win some journalism awards and whatnot. And I just started pressing whatever it was that I was talented at and and I was continued to be willing to be uncomfortable constantly. Mm. So I would I would be the one who after one year wasn't promoted, I would quit the job. And I kept kind of jumping and doing whatever necessary to climb as fast as possible. I knew that the GD would always be a little bit of a scar now on my record that would be hard to explain. So rather than explain it, I said, I'll just go get a law degree at a fancy law school. And, and I was on law review. So that would, that would end up in a, in a footnote kind of way, say, oh, you, you also were smart, right? Like you weren't a total, sure, sure. You weren't a total fuck up. Because so GD, you know, it's crazy, yeah. but it has like a stain to it. Oh, it where, does have a stain. Know. And so, but I always tell people this is when I talk to kids too. Um, like I've talked to kids in the Bronx sure. doing a GD program. I said, what's interesting about life is you won't be judged by where you started, but by where you ended up and how much ground you covered in between. So where you started when you screwed up actually becomes an asset. So long as the juxtaposition from where you are now is great enough, right? So a GD, has that little bit of the stigma but if you go to law school 
especially if you're on law review and it's a top school, it actually is more just an interesting data points. But I knew I needed to do something about that. And, and then I would make more money if I obviously had a law degree. So all during those years from 16 to 26, which was a critical period, I just kept hustling, being willing to go from job to job. If I didn't get promoted, I left Giuliani three times. No, really? two, no two times. Yeah, because first year I'm 20, let's just say I'm 20, you know, two years old. It took me seven years to graduate college because I went two jobs during the day. I went to school at night. It took seven years. Um, and then first year at the mayor's office, I was ghostwriting speeches and writing all these crazy things. And I'm making $27,000 a year. And then I, I said, I, I want to be deputy press secretary in charge of all like law enforcement because I just, I just I want that. I want to. And they're like, okay, simmer down, you know, young yeah, man. Yeah. Calm like, down, buddy. Calm down. Be patient, which lasted for like a week. And I was like- Young grasshopper. Yeah, young grasshopper. Daniel's son. Yeah. yeah. So wax on, wax yeah. on. So, so uh, and I was like, no, no, I don't. I, I, I left. I actually went to an uh, insurance company and they were paying for law school and it was doubled my salary, except again, I could hear the blood rushing through my ears. It was mm. like a nine to five job. Like this is soul crushing. <laughs> well, you know, I got, I got to get back. And they offered me a job back at Julian at the mayor's office again, doubling my salary. Mm. So, and then I did it, you know, again a year and a half later, and and no one really knew the true situation at home. I always kind of kept it a secret. I carried a lot of shame when I was a kid, and I thought nobody cared, nobody would help, and I was embarrassed. So no one really saw kind of what I felt like was a gun to my head. Um, but as a result, it motivated me to keep making moves, keep jumping until I could end up at a good spot. Mm. Um, so how did how did the the day come where you know how how were you you know n- known that you got this position? So I because I also know it was a very it was a, a happy day and at the same time a very sad day. Yeah, I I'm I'm, I'm in my last uh, year of law school at night, my fourth year at Fordham, trying to hold it all together, and my mother's just getting progressively worse. We, I was making decent money, but we had, we still didn't have anything. She couldn't even get out of bed anymore, and she was just struggling. I used to, I used to always want to keep an ear out for her, but at the same time, I'd try to sleep. I used to wrap a towel around my head so I could hear through the the fabric, through the night. Like this is how crazy it was, um, but completely exhausted. And I was working at an internet company, and the mayor called, and it was April of two thousand one, um, and offered me a job as press secretary, which I was overwhelmed by. I'm like, I'm taking care of my mother. I'm at law school. I can barely keep up. Press secretary, the mayor of New York. But I would have been the youngest one in history, 26 years old. And the money was phenomenal. At the time, I think it was over $100,000 a year. So mm. to go from GD to 100000 it was finally enough money that I could take care of my mother. Sure. Material change in our life that I felt I needed to do it. So, I, and it was the last year of the administration. And if anybody worked in government knows, you're, you're like a lame duck. Nobody cares about you. It's like basically you're on your way out and everybody says good riddance. And that's what April 2001 was. So I figured, all right, I can do law school and I could take this job, make a lot of money. And the night um, before I start, my mother was in really bad shape and just was saying, you know, please don't go to work. Like, don't go to work today. And I, I remember fighting with her, like, we have no money. If I don't go to work, like, there's literally no money in this house. I have to go. Um, so I go to work that day, and around um, 10 in the morning, I call her, and she said, well, uh, apparently when you call an ambulance, you have to go to the hospital. I said, you called an ambulance. That's good. I was always hoping somebody would intervene, right? And a little bit of backstory: We would spend 
probably one night a month in the emergency room. Because when you're growing up poor and you have no insurance, you tend to use the ER as your family clinic. Sure. So I would sit outside the ER and read my law school textbooks and nobody would ever do anything. You know, you'd wait for four hours and then we'd go home at four in the morning and go back to work. Um, so I assume this was just another one of those times. And I, uh, I said, I'll come meet you. Where are you going? She asked the, uh, the, the, uh, the EMTs. And they were taking her to Long Island Jewish. And I assumed this would just be another day. And by the time I got there, she had just died. Mm-hmm. So for me, I'd just become you know, press secretary of the mayor of New York. And this lifelong struggle that I had been trying to win, I had just lost. So it was at the exact precipice of success. I feel like it all kind of came crashing down, uh, which was completely surreal. You know, like everything. I just lost it in the hospital. And, and to, me that, that to me, that's always defined how I see the world, too. Number one, it doesn't always end well, right? Like my instincts to try to do everything I could to help were right because despite the system and, you know, the, the infrastructure around you, um, the government, like no one's really going to step in and change your circumstances. Like you have to do it yourself. Sure. Um, and two, if anybody had at that moment in time like intervened, especially when I was a kid, it would have made all the difference in the world, right? Like anybody coming and saying, how do we help? Like, what can we do for you? So I'll never forget the impact that wasn't made by intervention. Does that make sense? Like, Mm. I understand that if I have a position of, if I'm in a position of power and I have the money and I could do it, that is the best use of my time and resources. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. It's like it's always so hard to convey. I always imagine my 16-year-old self or, you know, her, like a little bit of intervention would have just transformed everything, right? Mm. So I'm going to be in a position one day to make that. I am in a position now. Like that's incredible. Sometimes I get excited about it. Like if I can just make a little bit of a difference. So now I went back um, and I fund scholarships at Queens College where she went for single mothers. Nice. nice. Yeah, I mean, I'm not again, not being a hero. It's not the biggest deal in the world. No, but – I get so excited when I get the letters because I, I know what that does, right? I know that that mother who's trying to raise her kid now has a few extra thousand dollars. It's like it's life-changing. So, sure. so I try to stay in the 16-year-old Matt realm and never go too far from it because I think that's where I'm ultimately going to have my greatest impact. I mean, I feel like I babbled and no, told you the story too. Uh. <laughs> it's, it's special when, when people do stuff like that. You know, mm-hmm. it, it – it, it, it just—it's it, meaningful, and I'm mm-hmm. sure mom is looking down, very proud of you. Yeah, you know, you have three other brothers. Are, are they also successful or no? I do. We're all successful in our own right. We all carry the, you know, a little bit of the dysfunction that you, you know, you, you have with you forever when you grow up like that. But my brother's a lawyer. The other one is a, a stockbroker. The other one is a genius who just sort of, you know, plays guitar and thinks about math problems. But yeah. they're all. Altogether, I was the only one who stayed behind. So, you know, they they were a little bit older. So I, sometimes the youngest one ends up kind of bringing up the rear, which mm. you know pisses you off for a period of time, and then you get over it. But but I was the one who was there when everything uh, everything went down. Interestingly, but because she died when I was uh, Giuliani's press secretary, he gave her like a head of state funeral, which was incredible. Really? But yeah. Like I remember my oldest brother Timmy he was hilarious. He goes to the funeral. He's like Matthew. Matthew was mom a maid woman? Like. <laughs> Was she, was she in a fucking mob? Because who are all these people? <laughs> and it was it was insane. And then um, Giuliani did something really nice. So he, I, we were having this conversation. Oh, you know, what was important to your mother? I was like, uh, college was the most important thing. It redeemed her, right? She had struggled so much, and she went to college. It gave her self respect. And the school was always so great to me. Like we would get our loans, and our loans would sure. fund fund our life. Um, he had her casket taken throughout the college, like mm. in a, like a motorcade. So crazy. Listen, so how was it working with Giuliani? 
Oh, it was great. I mean, he was always so good to me, notwithstanding current political state, which I have my own opinions on, but, but leaving that aside for a second. Back in the day, he, he took an ungovernable, ungovernable city and made it governable. He he, you know? he he hated the Italians, man. Yeah. It's funny for me. Really? Italian. He was yeah. one of you. What are you talking about? Uh, I just He loved Fiola LaGuardia, yeah, didn't he? He, he, he tried to take down the mob, you know. Oh, 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 is that the... Uh, he, yeah. I, you know, I heard a story, and I don't know if this is true, Yeah. but I heard a story that, again, I don't know if it's true, but I heard that um, Giuliani's father or something was owned like a, a store or, or something, and I heard that he was shooken down by uh, one of the mob, like a mob, and then so he had a vendetta against him or something like that. Something happened in his family. That I mean, obviously, you want to get rid of crime. I'm not saying right. the mob is good. I'm just saying. Yeah, I don't know how to respond to this. So, yeah. what, what do you do? I'd be feel bad for it. the mob? No, no. <laughs> I mean, like, Karen, I saw your post on Goodfellas. You Best that? movie, yeah, by yeah. the way. Uh, oh, it's incredible. <laughs> no, no, but what I mean is, is, is he, he, he really, he, he went after the mob very hard at that time. He did. Yeah. He went after, he cleaned up the he cleaned up, fish yeah. market. And yeah. he, uh, but I think that was one part. I think, you know, what? He, he created an aspiration for the city to define itself. Like, yeah. you don't have to have 2,000 murders a year. Like, we sure. can remember he brought it down to 600. Sure. Like, you can, you don't have to walk down Times Square and be assaulted, right? So, again, he had his rough edges for sure. And I'm not going to apologize for all those. But as a leader back in the day, and he was certainly the right person on 9 11, right? When I, when I was with him. Um, and uh, I think he did a phenomenal job. I'll never change my opinion on that. Now, Rudy Giuliani circa 2018 is you know a different thing, but sure. but I didn't sign you know a lifetime oath of fidelity to agree with everything he said. I did my service, and I thought he did you know a great job. You know, you were making uh, you said you know six figures, mm-hmm. a hundred thousand plus. Uh, you know, being somebody who grew up poor and and, and, and knew what it was to struggle. Uh, what did you did you ever buy anything like from your first paycheck or like when you got to a chance where your bank account started to flourish? Did you did you do something stupid or or fun or oh, I still am? But you know, but back <laughs> but back in the, as my wife will point out, but back back in the day, a car was a big deal. Yeah. We didn't have a car. My mother never took a vacation and never actually got on a plane. Right? I mean, like we were like legit poor. Right? So a car was a big moment. You know, credit. The ability mm. to buy a car sure, and actually sure. not pay for it, you know, like the American way. So that was probably the, my first memories were, were cars. I mean, the first car was a Nissan Maxima. I bought it for $500 from a 70-year-old lady. And then I went to the chop shop up in Willits Point to get a radiator uh, to go ahead. And, nice. So that was my first car. But I think cars were how I remember starting to make it. Um, and then my first apartment you know, mm. in Manhattan. Mm. You know, would you say that you learned more from your failures or, or your successes? I think I learned more from my context mm. than anything else. So what do you I, mean by that? I mean that that um, that uh, whenever I'm tested or I come up against a difficult circumstance, that it never compares to the idea of the suffering that my parent went through and ultimately succumbed to. Right. So I nothing holds up against that level of human suffering, and that brings me a level of peace with all my trials and tribulations, right? So I always contextualized everything. Well, at least no one's dying today. You know, it's just, it, it, everything seems slightly sure. less relevant. So um, less about failure and more about context. You know, as an entrepreneur and, and somebody who, you know, and, and I'll go over it and you could, you know, correct me if I'm wrong or add, but I mean, um, you know, vice president of the Dolphins, right? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, vice chair. Vi- vi- vice chairman. You got to give me due. Okay, excuse me. Okay, Sorry please, about that. Don't cheat. Okay. I didn't know they upped you. No, now. they did. They did. They bumped you yeah, up. Exactly. Op- I mean, vice president, when you work there, they open up the books. <laughs> exactly. They open um, the books. You know, <laughs> Tommy, he's gone. There's yeah, nothing we can do about it. There's nothing. There's nothing we can do about right. <laughs> the, the phone booth scene, right? Um, Epic. One for of those who don't I, know I, what we're talking I, about. I go, oh, Goodfellas. Internet who listen to this know that how much uh, I love Goodfellas. I love. It. I, I, I quote it regularly. I get frustrated when millennials maybe don't always know what you're talking about. I think it should be required viewing it was so ahead of its time but you look at it like it's crazy when when, when you think about your i mean it's, it's insane then you were uh what was your position at the jets in new york well, so the sequence was i go from uh giuliani to the first employer of the rebuilding of the trade center site okay. remember this is post 9-11 yep there's no template for how do you rebuild an entire part it's of a city that's been destroyed and so there's a you know, huge allocation of federal money and, and not sure what to do with it. So I was actually the first other people vie for this title. So maybe I'll say it's a tie uh, with my friend Stephen Pryor. But day one, gra- uh, ground sure. zero, you, what do you do? And I, I was there for two years helping put together the process to eventually choose the memorial on the site. And I used to write speeches for the governor and help put all that together. I did that. for So I was at ground zero from the moment the planes hit for over two years. Um, and then I transitioned to the Jets, which mm-hmm. I needed a little bit of frivolity in my life. I mean, you know, you're around all that mayhem and all that adrenaline and all that sadness. Like, I just needed a break. And my mother had died kind of in the middle of all that. So I transitioned to sports, sports to be. But, you know, it's funny because I feel like how, how, do, you, how do you get a position at the Jets? Like, I, I mean. Well, they were in the middle. I don't know if you remember, but uh, it was called the Stadium Wars at the time. The Jets never had their own home. And so we were trying to build a stadium on the west side. And we ended up in an epic death yeah, match okay, with Cablevision, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was on one side of it and Cablevision was on the other side of it. And so um, it was just they needed somebody who could run that effort, who understood uh, land use, PR, all the different things that go into building a project in the middle of a city. Sure. So that's how I started. And then I probably overstayed my welcome Ended up getting promoted a few times till I was eventually running the business. You know, um, I know there's uh, some point where they call you like you're an advisor, mm-hmm. right? Now, you know, for somebody who may not, you know, for listener who may not know, like, what does an advisor do? Like, what, you know, <laughs> it's such a terrible title, right? I know, it's right? Like, because it's great work if you can get it. I don't know <laughs> if it, you know, I think it's just a, a proxy for saying you are a close confidant, right? Okay. I mean, I think my my principal job at the Jets was ultimately to oversee the business of the team. So there's the sporting side, right? There's there's the general manager who's pulling together the roster. There's the head coach. I worked with um, Rex Ryan at the time, who was awesome, by the way. Let's go get a goddamn snack. Do you remember that? Sure, sure. From HBO. Classic. Of course. So uh, And then there was uh, Eric Mangini I was working yeah, with. Yeah. So there's coach, GM, and then this business. So I oversaw the business, helping build a new stadium, selling out, the, selling out the stadium, tickets, sponsorship suites. That was my job. And I did that cumulatively at the Jets for eight years. So it was a huge, huge part of my life and helped build a new practice facility out in New Jersey, moved my family out. I was pissed off too that we didn't succeed in New York. So mm-hmm. kind of, we just... Hey, Jersey's quiet. It's five minutes slower. It's, uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's oh, Jersey's good. Thing. Jersey gets a bad rap. It's not fair. It's, uh, I've, I've become a fan of Jersey. You spend your whole life in Long Island making fun of New Jersey and having never visited it. And then you visit New Jersey, you're like, oh, we should be making fun of Long Island. Like we had it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, for all the internets out there from Long Island are hearing For this. sure. <laughs> he goes in Long Island. Benson, yeah, like see? A, a video, but see, but the thing is that people in Long Island don't realize that we don't have traffic in Jersey mm-hmm. anywhere near what you have in Long Island. Mm-hmm. Having somebody who who drove through Queens for all those years and you're always in traffic no matter what time of day, we don't have that in New Jersey. So 
score one for us. You know, you mentioned, I uh, heard you mention Curtis Martin, former NFL running back. Uh, yes, I'm very you, close to Curtis Martin. Yeah, you, yeah, you spoke about um, how uh, much you speak to him, how special he is. Yep. Could you tell the internet what Curtis means to you? Yeah, I think, I think people always ask, do you have a mentor? And I, I think I have, I look at my life as a, as a series of people who passed the baton. And I was the baton that was passed from one person to another. And we all have that. If you look back at your life, you'll realize somebody was carrying you and then handed you off to somebody else. And, um, but, but my closest thing to my mentor is more of a spiritual mentor. I call Curtis my personal Jesus. Um, just an incredibly insightful human being who has the hands, answers to every test. So if ever I have a moral or ethical dilemma or I need to figure out how to be my better self, you know, I can turn to Curtis. And it's just a, a relationship I've had since he was back at the team. Um, and just a very, very what special is he doing person. Now? He's doing a ton of projects. He actually advises people a lot behind the scenes in ways you would never know. Like he's just – other people have figured out that Curtis has the answers to the test. Mm. Um, he's got some businesses that he's working on. Just so spe- special and gentle and insightful. Um, I'd love to do a podcast with him one day or I just want to expose him to the world. Sure. You know, and, and I think people don't realize. And sometimes athletes – you know, athletes get put in a box, especially former athletes, right? You presume, oh, they're not going to be great business people necessarily or – whatever, right? They don't, um, there's so many diamonds lurking out there that are typecast. And Curtis is just has the gift. Mm-hmm. More than an athlete, you know? Mm-hmm. More than an athlete. You know, Internet, listen, you know what? Let's take a quick break. Um, I mean, there's so many so many goddamn titles to this guy. It's funny, I haven't even gotten to the Gary V yet. Yep. I got to get into the Miami Dolphins, Steve Ross. I mean, plus even a survivor of cancer. Yeah. Um, I mean, fuck, man. I mean, it's like... I'm just trying to get it all in. Are you 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 going to have a documentary about you? No, and then I go out like a big supernova. It's going to be dramatic, whatever it is. (laughs) Internet's the one and only Matt Higgins. Don't go nowhere. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. It's Michael Lestoria, co-founder of Ann Pizza, chatting premium pizza with premium Pete, and you are locked in on the premium Pete show. Stay tuned. Internet's and we're back sitting here with Matt Higgins. Listen, uh, it's crazy that we already went so far into some of your journey and didn't even talk about Gary Vaynerchuk. Mm-hmm. And what I love is, this is why I love having people like you on, because people see Gary, people see all these other people, and, and very talented and very smart. But it's like you're the guy like behind the scenes who was kind of like believing in, in, in people like that way before maybe they even came to the masses. Um, even like, and we'll get into soon, even like Ann Pizza, like Michael Astoria. But let's, let's talk about Gary. You, you, you met Gary in a, in, what, in a bagel store or something? Yeah, I met Gary, uh, <clears throat> met Gary in a bagel store in 2009. Mm. And with my Jets job, everyone thought like, hey, we got to get Gary to buy a suite. This was the talk all the time. This guy is such a crazy Jets fan. We got to get him to buy a suite. So I trekked down to a bagel store in Springfield, New Jersey. Wine Library, which was his dad's business, is located over in New Jersey. And trying to sell a guy a suite is actually not the number one thing you want to do in the course of your day. So I wasn't exactly thrilled about it. But I meet Gary for the first time, knowing very little about him, right? And I always like to break up that epic conversation into segments, right? First 10 minutes... It's like this guy's out of his mind, like the crazy frenetic energy and whatever. But the second 10 minutes, things got really interesting. He started making all these predictions about how the world was going to play out. Excuse me. He started making these predictions about how the world was going to play out. And I'll just rattle off a couple of them, right? And again, this is 2009. Social media is going to be huge and it's going to democratize the creation of content. Everyone is going to have the ability to, to be a producer. As a result, um, corporations are going to need to navigate that space. And it doesn't matter whether it's Twitter or whatever the tool is. 
the power will be in their hands. And in order to do that, right, you're, they're never going to be able to keep up. The biggest companies in the world are never going to be able to learn that competency in-house. They're going to need to hire people who get it, right? And so I'm going to go ahead and create um, a new company with my brother, AJ. AJ was still in college. And we are going to be like the first you know, digital-only um, uh, uh, media company servicing those big corporations. And just a bunch of other predictions that made sense. And going back to pattern recognition, the ability to know it when you see it is really important. And the ability to act on it without anybody else seeing it as well, right? So mm-hmm. it didn't matter if anybody thought Gary, what, which direction Gary was going to go in. Sure. I could see it. I could smell it. I could taste it. And I thought if I could play a role in his success, this could be an incredible partnership. So we did a deal where um, in exchange for four Jets tickets, I became the first client of VaynerMedia. And mm-hmm. Gary's role was to take relatively anonymous Jets players and make them Twitter famous. Mm-hmm. And I got to watch him up close. And so began this idea that I started, you know, uh, thinking about over the next couple of years. And when I first joined with Steve Ross, I know I'm jumping around, but Gary was on my. Who is the? uh, I mean, super entrepreneur, right? Hard to hard to hard to put him in a category, right? One of the greatest entrepreneurs of our time, sure. And huge, massive developer, and you know, massive this and that. Owns Equinox, owns SoulCycle, owns just, the Dolphins, owns the Dolphins. I mean, I didn't want to go <laughs> off track of Gary, but we, you know, let's get back. Well, to just Gary to the now. Gary part. Yeah. So, so when I first partnered up with, with with Steve Ross, I had a bunch of ideas. I said, "This is like, this idea I've been sitting with for the longest period of time." Gary um, has it. He sits in the stream of information because mm. he's out there on social, he's out there communicating, he's opening his, himself up so he can see things. And he has the pattern recognition ability too. That's sort of uh, immigrant hustle, you sure, know, where sure. he, he knows how things are going to play out. He's got all this great access to capital. I mean, access to deal flow, um, and the insights. Why don't we marry it all together? Why don't we become a partner in the firm? It's still early back in those days. And let's create a new, uh, venture fund where we would back his ideas. And, and access to those early stage, the Facebook type investments and whatnot. And what I love about Steve, he met Gary 30 minutes later. I get it. Not completely. No problem. Let's do it. You know, that, that even though Steve is 78 years old now, and I'm this young kid back in the day, I guess not so young anymore, um, he would get it right away. That's, that's how we hit it off. So I went back to Gary, and we worked on it for a year to figure out how to structure it, and we, I became his partner. One of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. Mm. I like to think he did okay. I think I did even better mm. back in Gary. Yeah. And so now he's my brother. Yeah, that's amazing. He's he. he what I love is uh, more importantly than what he does. I, 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 love, I love his heart. He uh, he. That dude is all heart, man. Yeah. I remember. I remember. And, and the reason why I say that for is even just uh, how much he puts in. I was up in Vayner offices. That dude was there. It was like ten thirty, eleven thirty at night. Right. I mean, I and I remember when he pulled the the mic piece off of his shirt. He's like, I'm going home. He looked like he was done. Yeah. I mean, and he started from early in the morning. And, and there was people coming up to take pictures with him, people coming up to do small little interviews, like having meetings, playing Twitch. I mean, I was like, this fucking guy is, uh, he is somebody I feel that uh, hopefully, you know, could uh, shape, um, you know, just a, a lot of heart in the game. Well, know? that's what I love. People ask what's it like to be with Gary and what's Gary really like? I get that question a lot too. Sure. There's always, there's the haters, there's the lovers, there's everybody in between. I said, Gary is exactly what you perceive him to be. In fact, he doesn't do himself justice. Gary is also a Steve Jobs-like type 
person who can see the future and know what you want to buy before you do. He doesn't amplify that on social because he's just connecting with people with heart, right? And really motivated to lift people up. But he's leaving a lot of Gary on the table. And we just had this guy, I was at his house in the Hamptons uh, a couple of days ago, and I was giving him that lecture and saying, you know, the world should be exposed to your brilliance too about product and marketing and whatnot. And at the moment, I feel like they're only getting a, a, you know, a small piece of it. But back to the decision and the bagel store. I always, when I talk to interns, talk to anybody and tell them that story, I said the takeaway from that story was that you didn't have to be a rocket scientist to know that Gary Vaynerchuk is going to be a transformational figure who's probably going to be very successful with that firm. You just had the confidence, need to have the confidence to look past the fact that he hadn't done it before, that he had a frenetic speaking style, right? And that he was a little bit, his energy's all over and he had a bombastic confidence, right? Those things, if you allowed those to distract you, you would never make the move. But to me, that, that had nothing to do with the core fact that he was right, right? And mm-hmm. so I feel like I always try to stay close to that ability for me to recognize in people, maybe even what they don't recognize in themselves yet, right? Because everybody's always feeling around. I think I might be great, <laughs> but I got some haters around me or, sure, or sure. no one's backed me yet. You know? sure. But I think it's I'm not doubting themselves. Right, they have doubt. I have doubt. We all have doubt, right? It's the, it's the enemy of great. And so if you could be that person in somebody's life who can spot it for them and kind of and, 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 and confirm it, there's a lot of opportunity. And, and Gary is one example, but I've done it a bunch of times and, and been able to draft behind other people's greatness. That's, that's the other point that lecture I always give to folks is um, once you settle into submitting to the greatness of others and seeking it out, then you can make real money in life. Mm. It's when you think you need to be great that you're limited, right? Because it, doesn't, it can't scale. You can only be so great. But but you can back a lot of great people for sure. You know, you, 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 that's the business you're in too. Yeah. Uh, besides many other the things, but I've chosen. is backing backing people who are about to take off on that spaceship. Yeah. But I will say this: uh, Have you uh, had a lot of things that you were wrong about that uh, you know shaped you too? <clears throat> yeah, I've had um, I've had things where I've been most wrong is when I get so enamored with an idea that I think that the idea itself is powerful enough to overcome all the deficiencies that are going to sink it. So Mm -hmm. it's a very long way of saying people are the most important factor, right? So when I've backed an idea, oh, this idea is so great. It doesn't really matter the fact that the CEO and founder can't run a lemonade stand. You know what I mean? And it's not deserving of having a bank account. It doesn't matter. I'm going to – the idea is so great. I've I've been terribly wrong. So – but I I think I'm great at – pivoting and iterating, right? When you're a survivor and you grow up with nothing, you've got to make sure you learn your lessons and you don't make the same mistake twice. I don't usually make the same mistake twice. So uh, I've had some misses and it's usually about people. You know, I heard you mention that, uh, you know, for entrepreneurs that you back, uh, that you look, uh, that if, if you're going to back someone, you know, um, obviously you look for them to have uh, confidence and humility. Right. Explain that further. Yeah, I think... Um, Confidence, I think to be humble actually requires confidence, right? If you're insecure, you don't want to let anybody see it and you don't want to be humble or vulnerable. So I think it's very important in business because there's going to come a point where you're going to need to pivot. No one's PowerPoint ends up being the actual business you create. So along the way, you're going to need to pivot the idea. You're going to need to evolve as a leader because you're going to find out that you know, you're, you're not perfect as a CEO just because you came up with the idea. All these different things, your success in your life is going to depend on your ability to pivot. And if you don't have the confidence because you're worried that somebody's going to call you out for being wrong, uh, then you'll never get there, right? So once you have that confidence, then you could be humble and you could take feedback, you could take input. So it's interesting that sometimes people feel like those two things are, are uh, mutually exclusive, but they're actually codependent. Confidence and humility. What's crazy too is before the break, we mentioned that uh, you're a cancer survivor. 
Yep. You know, uh, how, how did you battle through that? Like, how did you get through all that? Like, you know, like and keep your head up and, you know, not put the sh- covers over you, you know. Yeah. And, I remember I was real pissed off because I was at the Jets and I had hit a certain point in my career that I was doing really well. And then I, I end up getting testicular cancer. My son was only three months old at the time. And I was just like, fuck now. Like, I'm just hitting my stride. And I was mad. I was really defiant. Um, and I remember I went, got diagnosed on a, let's say, a Tuesday went in you go in really quick they want to remove that tumor as fast as possible which is pretty startling like it's an important part of the male anatomy like you want to sit with it for a minute before you part with it like does it do we really have to go in tomorrow (laughs) so literally go in the next day have the surgery go back home late that night and then one day later i go back to work because i was so caught up with my career being derailed right like i was like i am not going to go back to poverty which is a little nuts in retrospect so um one of my biggest regrets actually is that i didn't take advantage of the time as much as i could have um but that's you know a whole another story what i learned from cancer though there was a period of time for maybe a couple of weeks when i thought that i was much further along and that you i could die that most of my thoughts didn't hold up against the prospect of dying. So what does that mean? I spent a lot of time dreaming of big houses and looking through the New York Times real estate section, right? Well, that's irrelevant if I'm dying in a few months. Almost all my thoughts were irrelevant. And I called it zero time, right? And drill down to what's what do I really care about on my deathbed? And it was, what kind of dad was I? Like, that was the only thought that actually held up to... Uh, the notion that you might die really quickly. And to me, that was an epiphany. I, I felt like having gone through cancer, I knew what my last thought will be on my deathbed. I will audit and survey, you know, did I do right by my kids? And I've held on to that ever since. Um, and also that life should have a degree of hedonism because all this other stuff's completely irrelevant and should be gone. I, I, I feel like once I knew I wasn't going to die and I went through Sloan Crattering, went through the process, I found it was tremendously impactful on my personality and how I see the world. Like, it was. It ended up being, to be honest, net positive. It's mm. not something I really feel. I'd be lying if I dramatized it. I felt like it gave me a lot of time to reflect, and it gave me a chance to realize what's important, and what's not important. Mm. That's powerful. I mean, I don't suggest everyone to get cancer, but uh, that's powerful the, uh, to also. It also prompted me to like get off your ass. You're like yeah. you're eating gyros. You're like eighty pounds overweight. <laughs> get your shit together and start running marathons. Yeah, so I mean, I did. You, you know, I don't know if uh, you spoke about that, but uh, I know that uh, at one point in time you were heavier. Yeah, right? I'm and heavier again. Uh, you know, I'm the I'm the like prototypical uh, yo-yo dieter, but I'm trying. I, I mean, you look. I mean, uh, you know, don't I, praise. I don't me, compliment yeah. men all but, the time, but I but mean, don't you praise look, me. You, you look slim. You look good. You no, know, you got to hold me accountable. Don't declare victory. You talk to me in a year if I still if I'm here. Is that, is that something that you grew up? Uh, yeah, I think. I, like we all deal with our emotional issues when we're, I, I deal with my with you know eating right, and I'm part of one of the millions of internets out there who use food as a coping mechanism. I think it actually not to psychobabble, but back when I was a kid and we had nothing, food was the only time we were actually happy when. I'd sit with my mother and she'd order some indulgent meal from Gino's Pizzeria. Mm. It felt like we were we were okay, right? Mm. As opposed to eating government cheese or going to the pantry. Sure, like, sure. It felt like we were we were winning. And so I think I did associate food with soothing. Um, that might be a big excuse. Uh, but regardless, uh, you know, I've, I've always challenged, I've always fought with weight issues. Mm. And I think my mother, a big part of how she died was actually obesity. I mean, she, mm. she, was, she was pretty um, heavy when she passed away. So it's been a struggle. I think I'm winning now. 
Mm-hmm. I think I've cracked the code. I so can you give lost, it to you if you want it. Yeah. You want how to how many code. pounds did you, did you lose? So, well, are we going to count cumulatively gained and lost? <laughs> I'd no. say in my most recent, you know, quest, I'm down about um, I'm down about 55 pounds nice. in, the, in the last year. Listen, and I, health is wealth. Let me tell you something. Yep. You could have all the money in the world. You have all the friends in the world that have money. And from what I've seen too, and I don't know if you've seen this, I know I know a good amount of people have a lot of money. But they have, some of them are miserable. Yeah. You know, you, you, peace of mind, health, uh, to outlive, you know, it's like, I mean, I don't know. My grandmother's 97, man. She still has a sane brain, you know, still knows how to move. I call her a bastard. She calls me a son of a bitch. We just, that's, that's how we communicate with each other. Yeah, I think, I think uh, for me, people focus way too much on longevity as opposed to quality, mm. right? Like, it's, I, I presume it's kind of irrelevant how long we're going to live because you won't know about it as soon as it happens. So at least that's based on the information I have so far. <laughs> so why we care about that? But I do know that every day I'm here, I want to feel really good, right? And it seems to be weight is a huge part of it and exercise is a huge part of it. Love, kids, happiness, you know, and those, those are the pieces we have, but people get way too obsessed about, you know, afraid of the dying of the light. I, I'm much more focused about how do I crush it while I'm here, to use a Gary phrase. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Crushing it. What, 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 look, some people who know you, uh, you know, obviously you're, uh, uh, I mean, I guess we say serial entrepreneur, somebody who's been very successful at life, um, still living it. The journey is, is super amazing. What, what are you afraid of? Like, what is some some of the shit that you're afraid of? Um, I am always afraid of going back to a place of powerlessness, right? I don't ever want to be, you know, that kid that, that can't fend for sure. himself. So that's probably, you know, number one. Uh, two, that I got pulled away from the core job of being a dad and that somehow it got away from me. And then... Very you, tough, very yeah, tough. And then uh, you wake up one day and, 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 you know, your kids, they're not interested in you, right? Like, so I think I'm winning that fight, but that would probably be my second biggest fear. Yeah, I, 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 would, I, I wouldn't say they're not interested. I would say they evolve, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and parenting never stays the same. You right. know, it's like when you're young, you know, I have an 18-year-old daughter and a three-year-old son, but, you know, I was divorced when my daughter was two years old, and I'll be honest with you, I don't wish it on anybody. I actually had Fat Man Scoop on, and he was saying that he don't wish on his worst enemy. He doesn't wish divorce. Um, I agree. I say out of all the things I've ever been through, poverty, cancer, you know, name it, nothing compares to divorce, which is interesting because society doesn't look at it that way, especially, I think, you know, to a degree with men. I realize how much men do struggle with the idea of loss of parenting responsibilities, and I'm sure there are a lot of heels out there, too, who don't do the right thing, but divorce is harder than anything. Cancer is way, in my life, way eclipsed by divorce. Mm. It mm. might have been a head cold, comparatively. Mm. Yeah, so I'm with you. You were a lucky man, you know, uh, uh, as far as the cancer, but I will say, um, you know, as long as you're there and present in your kid's life, like I spoke about before, uh, things will flourish. And, right. and there'll come times like, you know, my daughter, like, I, you know, I'm glad that I had another kid because at one point in time, you know, she didn't want me to. Um, but at the same time, she was like starting to like say, yeah, dad, uh, I'm not going to see you this weekend. I'll see you next weekend. I'm busy. Right. And I was like, busy, excuse me. And realize you have to have a life too. You know, that's a problem too with, uh, being divorced, uh, you know, uh, separated dad, so to speak. Uh, it's amazing and great, but it's also tough and hard. Um, you know, you're, you're not there all the time. Um, you know, you have a limited time and, 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 and say if they're in trouble or something, you gotta, you, you have to be a forceful, uh, you know, a dad when 
the times where you're right, not with you really them all the time. I think that's actually it's. I I almost I, I liken it to like a long distance relationship. You there's a lot of pressure for that period of time when you're dating it together to make sure it doesn't go off the rails, right? So you don't really want to discipline your kids if you're only with them for forty yeah. hours, right? It's like it's like hey, 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 it's like hey, you're a piece of shit, that you know. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for. But what are you gonna do? Let them do whatever they want. So it's like it, 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 it's 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 a struggle. But I will say if you as long as you're there, I promise you. Uh, yeah. How was your kids? No, I feel good about it. No, I feel I got I have uh, four kids. Okay, so they they range from you know ten to eleven to fifteen to seventeen. So okay, I nice. have the whole and they're they're amazing and they all love each other. I have a, I have a, I have a great setup, so yeah. I feel like I'm getting it right as yeah. best as I as long as, long as you give me your credit card for the Uber. Yeah, whatever. Okay. Oh, no, I'm the worst, but I'm such an enabler. I'm, I, I admit <laughs> it. I'm not. I'm definitely. I have the Disneyland dad thing to a bit, but uh, but that would be my second one, and then the uh, the third one would be. Just if I didn't have like fun along the way enough, like I bought in too much. Does that make sense? Sure. Like the reality is there's a there's a degree of frivolity to everything that we're doing. Sure. The object of the exercise can't be about professional success nor money, because money is a means to an end, right? It's gotta be about the full expression of the self. Sure. Right. So to have I don't ever want to uh, stray too far from that. And then you wake up one day thinking, oh, I was gonna wait till I was seventy to visit the Great Wall, but now it turns out I got six months to live. Like that. But I I keep that real cl- ever since post cancer, I keep that real close to me. That's why whenever I take a work trip, I always create these little micro vacations every single time. I always go somewhere amazing. And I, had, I was in China and I only was there for 36 hours. I mm. had the car divert so I could run up the Great Wall in my suit, ran all the way up, ran back. I was like, all right, I did the Great Wall. Mm. So if I never get Is that back. bucket list? Huh? Yeah, just more like I don't want to sequence. It's dangerous to sequence. I was sequencing up until the point that I had testicular cancer, right? So there were all these things that I deferred that I was going to do once I had enough money and I, was, and I had enough autonomy. I was going to go back and revisit it, including like self-work. Mm. And then you realize, oh, I'm 33 and I might die. Oh, that was a fallacy. Sequencing is not an option. I better do everything concurrently. Joy, self-work. So that's my, that's my point. So, what's, what, what is your bucket list? Oh, what's, my, what's my bucket list? I would really like to have enough money and influence. But, but, but not to cut you off, but what what is enough money? Well, let me finish the point. Okay, I don't yeah. know what enough is. Uh, that if you have significant amount of money, you can make a massive impact in people's lives. And if you could use your brain power that you were using along the way to create companies and solve problems, if you could use your brain power. In other areas that are about ameliorating suffering, you can have a massive, massive impact on this universe. So I get excited by accumulating resources and then redistributing it. I just I get excited by the last chapter, you know. And I don't know entirely what that looks like because I do think at the moment the highest and best use of me is to try to build that the, the net worth and build the assets. But I get excited by that last chapter. Is that a bucket list or is that more an aspiration? I think it's more just an aspiration about how I want my life to play out. That sixteen-year-old kid, right? I can do a lot of damage <laughs> if yeah. properly resourced. You know? do, do you uh, put money in other places besides your businesses and besides all the years of you know working with the Jets, you work with the Dolphins now, um, the company you formed with uh, yeah, Steve Ross is called RC yeah. Ventures, uh, you know, backing Gary Vee, um, you know, doing all this. Do you invest in like real estate? Yeah, I like. I mean, I think everyone. Um, it's fun to have tangible projects and properties, right? Like paper is very abstract, you know, so you can have a ton of worth on paper. You talk to any founder or anybody who theoretically has made it because they just did an up round and they'll tell you psychologically it means nothing to them. So there's something to be said for anything tangible that is in your possession, Mm. a restaurant, you know, a piece of real estate. Mm. So I I try to do 
projects where I can. Mm. And it's one, it's fun, but two, it feels a lot more tangible. Mm. You know, um, we 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 gotta we can't uh, as we wind this episode down we can't forget about Steve Ross. Um, you, you, how did you even meet this guy? So I uh, Steve Ross, owner of the Dolphins. So I met him through and a NFL, thousand other things. And a thousand other. I met him through NFL meetings, and he is just this magical figure who spends all his mental energy looking out on the horizon. He's I always look for this in people. Now he doesn't tell stories. He doesn't spend his time recapping. He spends his time um, projecting outward. And forward, right? So he's just a perpetual serial entrepreneur, and I had these ideas uh, that I wanted to that I wanted to implement, and we just sort of I fell in love. I don't know, hope it's mutual, but he uh, he uh, and now we spend all day long just like looking for people like Michael Astoria, mm-hmm. right? And looking the back greatness, and we we align on that. Like if you look at our entire portfolio, which now includes David Chang, Momofuku, yep. Gary Vaynerchuk, yep. Jesse Darris, yep. and all these different brands. At every single one of them has a has a magical special founder who was kind of at an inflection point and needed something else to get the West the way there. Maybe Gary needed somebody to believe in him back at that bagel store, right? Sure. Or Michael Astoria, who's the nicest well, guy in the fa- world. Well, we had him on the show, yeah. uh, co-founder of Ann Pizza. Right. So, right. So yeah. Michael Astoria, co-founder of Ann Pizza, will be a transformational figure. He he will be the next Howard Schultz of this mm-hmm. generation, right? Because mm-hmm. he's bringing he's bringing a his soul to a commoditized project product, which is pizza, right? He, I think I like to think I'm his minister of defense, you know, which he'll say, right? Like we're, we're, we're brothers and we're in the trenches together. So he needed somebody to run the war department, which is, you know, what I do. Although my brother, actually, my brother, and we, we, we work with Michael very, very closely. So that's what's great with Steve. So we look for somebody magical. We have the freedom because we're using his capital and we're not a firm. We don't care about exits. We just, we can back these great people. And when you, when I, hopefully when I look backwards, it'll be a tremendous track record of backing great people at a critical moment in their lives. Is there somebody who got away? Are you out to even talk about that? Oh, yeah. Did somebody get away? Um, no, I mean, we miss trends, I guess, but I don't. I can't think of anybody. Once they're in their web, there's no getting away. Let's just be honest. Mm. <laughs> it's not going to let them get away. If you were an entrepreneur, honestly, what, what, what do you think you'd be doing? Oh, if I wasn't an entrepreneur. No, what the fuck would you be doing? I don't know. I, would I think, I think, um, an I, think I would have been a musician. A musician. Yeah, I think I would have been a piano player. I think I would have been in a band. I love music. I would have. I just. I feel like um, being a piano player was in me, and I just never got around to it. And now I'm way too lazy. I have a big piano; it just sits there. But my son is an incredible piano player. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you, you think about um, your journey and how far you've come. You know, and you still have a, a, a long way to go. You know, and there's people out there. You know, young entrepreneurs, uh, you know, young people who who would love to be in, in, in you know where you're at, or even learn from you, or even understand. You know, uh, maybe they hit a they hit a bump in the road. You know, and which I'm sure you've been through so many of them. What's some advice you, you would give them? Well, I had a great. Um, so Shark Tank was just you know announced. that's right, right. So Shark that I'm going to be on next season. Shark Tank. Congratulations. And thank you very much. And um, my favorite comment that ran after was somebody posted on um, ABC's site because that's great, but I understand he only has 400 followers mm. on Instagram. <laughs> and I was like, and I wrote back to the guy. I said 401 question mark. Mm. You know, mm. like. To me, that's amazing. Like, uh, so I'm on Shark Tank now, right? Yeah, yeah. And I dropped out of high school when I was 16. Yeah. So my 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 
my point to entrepreneurs, like, do not allow yourself to be defined by what came before you, but by what comes next. And mm. I know that sounds so obvious, but I do think that's what holds people back. The audacity of, of saying it, right? People have a hard time transitioning from an employee to a business owner because sometimes they're insecure by the idea of stating it, right? I own a business, right? That psychologically is very hard to make that transition. Sure. And I, Warren Buffett says it all, I, you know, a smart Smart plan will meet a, a genius without one any day of the week, right? So if you have a plan, you pretty much can get mostly where you want to get to. I love Shark Tank. I connect with my son about the show. It's probably the only thing you know we watch on TV. And I made a very affirmative decision that I wanted to be part of it. Mm. And, and as crazy as that is, I'm on this season Shark Tank, right? Mm. So I tell anybody, like, just don't, don't, you know, have a plan and don't define yourself by where you are right now. Mm. I like that. Do you believe that luck uh, plays a big role in success? Do you believe that? Uh, I actually, I'm not a huge believer in luck. I am a huge believer in in um, in lemonade out of lemons. That every negative situation gives you an opportunity to leverage it. Right? Like never waste a good crisis is something that Rahm Emanuel would always say. I totally believe in that. So, for example, it seems unlucky that I grew up in the circumstances that I did getting a GD, everything I went through with my mother, right? But now that I put in the hard work to get to where I, I am, I can deliver a message that people will listen to, and I can inspire millions of people with that. So is that unlucky, or is that, at the end, a gift once I put the work in, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm a huge believer that there is really no bad things. There's a saying in Buddhism, like, who's to say what is bad or good? I believe, I believe in that more than I believe in luck necessarily. There almost are no bad things in life. Mm. You know, when it's all said and done, uh, Matt Higgins, uh, what do you want your legacy to be? Um, first and foremost, that he was a great dad. Mm. That's number one. Um, and that I lived up to what I'm telling you right now, which is that I devoted a lot of my life and resources to ameliorating suffering, that it wasn't just talk. So that when I'm in a, really in a position to do it, I do do it. I want that to be my legacy. Mm. You know, speaking of uh, being a dad, with access to so many things, you know, uh, how do you teach like your kids to have financial stability? Like, even like, how do you teach them? I wonder how that is. Like, meaning, like, you know, like I give example for me, and and you know, you know, like my daughter, she she has a lot of friends that are uh, their families are wealthy. And so she'll tell me, like, Dad, you got to buy me a Benz. And I'm like, oh, listen, that's not happening. You know, maybe I get your Toyota Camry, a Honda Record, something like that. And, you know, I'm not getting your Benz, especially not your first car. And I don't try to keep up with the Joneses. I'm very real with her. Um, you know, one day financially, if I do get there, maybe I get her a Benz. But she's going to know what it is. And, and, and nothing, there's nothing wrong with it. You work hard and your kids are going to benefit from that. But do, do you find that hard to teach them? like financial stability or any type of like, you know, when you could literally like, you know, I see with people like Michael Grubin, you know, the, uh, the fanatics, the fanatics, yeah. uh, co, uh, co owner of the Sixers. Yeah, and he's the awesome. I love Michael. You've had him I, on your show. No, I had, oh, I, I want to have him a, on. He's amazing. I, I want to have him on because, uh, I, I love what he's done with Meek Mill, uh, uh, and how he wants to care about like prison reform. Oh, Ruben and, is incredible. I, I, I mean, he, but more importantly, I see him travel with his kid mm -hmm. and he looks like a separated dad also. It's funny how you see these separated things and what, which I was, so it hits home to heart, which I am. Um, and, you know, I see he puts her on a private plane and they play this game like, uh, you know, she doesn't know where she's going. You know what I mean? And he's like, guess where we're going? And, and, and she doesn't know. And then the next thing you know, they're in fucking like Italy or or uh, what's that place with the, with the little huts in the water? What's yeah. 
a I don't bee, know. Maybe a Beezer. Or... <laughs> I, I used to worry about this, like that you don't want to be alienated from your sure. own kids. A couple of important principles, I think. You cannot manufacture like struggle. Either you're in a struggle or not. So the idea that you're going to artificially deny your kids like your current and create this Potamkin village of sadness and poverty is not going to happen, right? <laughs> it is what it is. True, government yeah. cheese is not available on Seamless, right? Yeah. So I, I, that train has left the station. I said, but, um, but I do think when you look at people who behave, you know, who are obnoxious in society and whatnot, usually it's because they're defining their self-worth through material possessions, mm. right? They're, they're defining their self-worth relative to others. I have the nicer car, I have the nicer clothes, right? That begins with the parents. I do not define my self-worth by, uh, you know, quality of clothes, quality of car. You sure. know, I have to rely on people like Michael Astoria to have any sense of style or whatnot. So mm. number one, do not define yourself by that, and your kids won't either. To me, I found that to be the most important attribute. And then otherwise, just make sure that they have respect for money and what it takes. Like, my kids are very aware of, of how hard I work. Sure. And what that means to everybody. And so I've actually found it to be a lot easier. As long as you don't walk around and, and think that you're anything because you have some money and some possessions, it's fine. Sure. I feel like I, feel like I was blessed with kids with incredible values. You know, um, so I haven't found it to be a struggle. But well, I don't deny them either just to make everybody feel bad. Sure. Do they <laughs> ask for crazy – do you ever look back to what when you were growing up? Like, do they ask for, like, crazy things? And I mean, obviously, it's, we, there's more access now to get, but, I mean – you know, you weren't getting those things when you were young. Well, Sometimes I look at, I look at, I don't look at purchases like that. I look at when my kids are like, um, like my mother will say to me, uh, Pete, you know, at 15, you know, you, you, you were, you made, you didn't go to school a lot. You were troublesome. She's not as, you know, I, you know, she's, she's good. You know, like, like we would always measure her by how I was. And, yeah. You know, I, str- yeah. I struggle too because I don't want to feel like denying myself anything, right? Yeah. So what I have to, you have to sequence it out with your own kids, right? Like this notion that everyone needs to wait for things. But I, I, I try to follow typical parent rules, you know, in that area. But yeah, they're, they're just well grounded. Like they're not looking for crazy stuff. The fact that everybody has all this technology when, you know, my mother never went on an airplane, I find kind of fascinating. And some of these yeah. trips we end up taking. But, but mostly I think it's all good. I always talk to my brother about this. Yeah, because we went to Queens College, which I love and is grateful for that institution. But if my kids can go to Harvard, Yale, whatever, I'm going to let them do that too. Because there's no reason to start, you know, behind the eight ball, right? Not that going there, it's a great school, but you just don't have to artificially construct struggle. Life will bring struggle soon enough. I don't believe that anybody is born on third base. And I don't believe in judging anybody because they came from wealth or they went to an Ivy League school. I think that's nonsense because everybody's harboring some struggle. And it's not where you started. It's the distance you cover in the end. So I feel very passionate about that, right? It's very easy for somebody in my, where I came from to almost make somebody feel bad because they're not self-made. I think that's total bullshit, right? Sure. Like that everybody's everybody's got to make themselves, even if you were born with a billion dollars, because you've defined your your mission, right? Um, so I try not to judge too much. I have two last questions for you, uh, and uh, one is uh, you, you had a uh, you mentioned uh, a bunch of times I've seen that you had a nice long talk one time with Warren Buffett. Mm. Um, what did you learn from that conversation? Oh, that's so interesting. Well, um, number one, uh, he has always been. A hero to me uh, because I feel like I didn't grow up uh, with that strong dad relationship. So I do seek out some model for my values, right? Sure. And there are a couple of people that I do think, uh, you know, have it and Warren Buffett, right? 
has it. I've read, I've read his papers and I've read books about him and I've watched the HBO documentary, right? So number one, I was really hoping that he would live up to that because it would be like finding out there's no Santa Claus when you're six years old. You know, like I hope he is what he says he is. And, and, and after spending a couple hours, he actually, he was that. He was that thing. And the fact that here's this guy's third richest person in the world and completely down to earth was amazing to me that there's this conventional wisdom that you're going to reach a certain rarefied air and you're going to have to be alienated from everybody else. And yet he has managed to stay on the ground. And so what it mm. told me is that if you don't manage to keep your feet on the ground, it's entirely your fault. You have no excuse because Warren Buffett has been able to live in the same house and relate. And the other part, which I thought was incredible, he brought to the Dolphins game his entire family office. And if you met everybody, you would have no idea that they spend all day long around a guy that people will spend a million dollars on an auction to have, you know, breakfast with, right? Sure. And he treated everyone like a family, very tender, very normal. So I guess the biggest thing I learned from him that day was you have no excuse not to remain a human throughout the journey, mm. right? Because mm. here's the third richest person on earth and he is in, he's incredible. Mm. And then he gave me some advice that we talked about, I've been thinking about and for another day, but that I've been sitting with. Um, but to have Warren Buffett for a couple hours. For sure, come on. Incredible. I mean, look, it, it, it's just a testament to your journey, man. I mean, you know. Yeah, there's a Forrest Gump quality to it all. My brother always makes fun of me. Like, where is Matt today? You yeah, know? Yeah. <laughs> like, who are you with now? Well, oh, Bill Clinton? You know, tell, him, <laughs> tell him it's mysterious. He'll never know. Uh, lastly, how do you manage your time, man? I know, you know, you're moving all around. You're traveling um, different different parts of the country. How do, how, does, how do you manage your time? Yeah, I th- and it's hard. And at times when I haven't managed it well are the times when I've been the least successful. So number it starts with what's most important to you, right? What are your bedrock principles that you're going to try not to compromise? I've been better about health, like saying I'm not going to compromise that. I'm not going to let the job you know, take me away from that and working out and whatnot. And then it's about impact. If people are afraid... Like, you know how you dive into your inbox and you just mm-hmm. start randomly answering sure. it, even though it's not really correlated to what's the most important. You just begin to answer them, right? Ask yourself, what is the highest and best use of my time today? And how am I going to have the greatest impact? I do do that pretty religiously. And that changes almost from hour to hour. Like, oh, new set of facts. It's more important that I do that. And I'm willing to kind of pivot throughout the day. But I'll start my day early on. What's the highest and best use of my time today? What's the most important thing? I'll make notes to try to plan my work so I can work my plan. And then go throughout it while maintaining flexible mm. flexibility. I never get too rigid because it's just too chaotic, my life. But uh, somehow it all holds together. Hey, listen, you're doing an amazing job, and the journey is really just beginning. You know? oh, and now on Instagram, you're Matt Higgins. RSE. RSE. Do yep. you mess with Twitter? Huh? You know, I just I, lately I just struggle with Twitter. I feel like just a lot throw of some out there. I just feel like a lot of the suffering in our society is related to Twitter. <laughs> it's a kind of a hateful place, you know. It's it, a, it is. I, Insta- I like you know Instagram. I feel like there's a lot of positivity and joy out there sure. on Instagram and people seeking positive messages. Twitter has unleashed something. Maybe it's Trump has just turned me on it. Could be, could be. But 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 you know what's worse? Uh, YouTube comments. Be careful when you look at YouTube. Comments. I don't look at those either. I just so I just only traffic in Instagram lately. Like, Some why do I have just... to be on Heather? You know, over here will tell me that I have to be on Twitter. But I just think it's the it's the it's the it it, it cultivates so much anger and yeah. and hate. I don't know. I, I mean, uh, it, it, if it's if it's a piece of the outlet, you know what I mean. Um, well, right. You can't you yeah. can't like stop participating yeah, in yeah. society. I believe I, in it. I believe in Twitter a lot. You believe um, in Twitter more than Instagram? No, but uh, I, I would say I like Instagram uh, just a small bit better. Mm. You know what I like about Instagram? 
um, Twitter, if you're calculated and clever and you have access to breaking news, you can grow your audience uh, pretty easily, like with tactics. Sure. Instagram, you got to kind of earn it. Sure, right? sure. There's no viral. I love that they easily could have built into a viral component to Instagram by making it easier to repost, right? Like there are a lot of tactics that they adopted to make it a positive platform that it's hard to game. And I like the fact you got to earn it. I like the fact that as somebody at my level, you, you know, you just you interact with people and you comment and engage them and that's how you build your audience. I, I kind of like the authenticity. Whereas Twitter, it's easy to kind of come up with something that gets reposted and it goes viral and I don't know, not to hate on Twitter. I own some Twitter no. stock for the record. But uh, what about Snapchat? I like I, I like Snapchat but it's kind of like more like um, I feel like Instagram stories hurt them. I feel like they they, 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 they put a little uh, dent in them. They did. You know? What do you, Is there another platform on the horizon? And, uh, I mean, Facebook I feel like is still good. I love Twitter. I love Instagram. Um, I don't know, man. Twitch, do you play around on Twitch? I, not really. Not Gary, really. Gary's yeah, Gary loves that. I was up there playing. He, he plays, please. He loves, he, he, but he loves all that. You yeah. Know? I think YouTube is still humongous. Um, yeah. You know, obviously, uh, I think there's be a lot more platforms where you could be yourself, where you could, you know, you could be your own press. You could be your own voice. You could answer something real time. I mean, even, I was having this debate with somebody. They're launching a TV show, and uh, I won't say who they are, but they were, you know, very passionate about the idea that, you know, I don't want to engage in social. It's kind of being a purist. I just want to engage in a TV show. And I'm thinking, so let me ask you, you're going to launch your TV show and you're going to pitch a bunch of reporters to maybe cover your show so that in the hopes that you could actually reach people who are reading that reporter's article. So now you're, you're injecting a layer between yourself and whoever's reading it. Why wouldn't you just use the tools that are out there to aggregate your own audience and communicate? And that's what's amazing. That's what Gary Vee predicted when we were sitting in that coffee shop, the mm. democratization of the creation of content, that mm. everybody's going to be their own producer. And now everybody is. I regret I took a break for like five years, just kept my head down, you know, rebuilding. Um, you, you, you'll be back. You'll be back. The thing is, you, just because if someone's not on social, or just because something didn't put be, and don't don't fall into this category. If it didn't like, where it, if it didn't happen, if you didn't put it on social, it didn't happen. Mm. There's a lot of people moving and grooving. Yeah, uh, that may have not posted it. It's you true. Know, I believe in making more moves and, and less announcements. Well, I think you go through periods of life too where you don't want to invite that engagement, right? You just keep your head down. You feel like being a bit anonymous. So I did for a period of time, but then you have to build it back up again. So I wasn't yeah. on Instagram, but now I'm getting, now I'm enjoying it. It's fun. Listen, listen, the one and only Matt Higgins, let me tell you something. Okay. First, I'm going to leave you off on this. Okay. Um, sometimes you, you're busy living your life. You don't even realize how much of an inspiration you are. I don't care how much money you make. Uh, your most worth is going to be your inspiration. Oh, thank you. I mean, you're a guy who, like I said, mattress on the floor, government cheese, your mother in a wheelchair, uh, your, your success, your best success day was when your mother passed, you know, passed away, which was the worst day. Rest in peace. I mean, to go to to, to go to go flying in private jets with Steve Ross, to have a guy like Steve Ross believe in you, walk with Warren Buffett, believe in Gary Vaynerchuk, believe in and Pizza. I mean, you know, survive from fucking cancer. You know, try to be the best. Dad. It's fucking sick. Honestly, think about oh, thank it. You. The, no, I mean that. You know, mm -hmm. and 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 I wish you the best of success. Oh, thank you. This has been great. Yeah. I appreciate it. And you too. Yeah, thank you, bro. The one and only Matt Higgins. Take care. Internets, if you enjoyed that episode, I want you to email me at thepremiumpeachshow at gmail.com. Again, that email is thepremiumpeachshow at gmail.com. Let me know what you thought. And listen, all my advertisers out there, all my big businesses, my small businesses, whoever, a friend, a store, you want to advertise on the Premium Peach Show? Email me at thepremiumpeachshow at gmail.com and let's get working. Okay, make sure you subscribe, rate, leave a comment on all streaming platforms of the podcast. Tell a friend to tell a friend, and we'll see you next episode. Cheer.